0: So, if you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, continue our study of this great book, Acts chapter 11. The book of Acts is the continuing work of Jesus, as Luke describes in his first chapter of this book. It's the continuing works of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. Now last week we saw in Acts 10 how the gospel begins to move among the Gentiles. The promises to Abraham that uh, that through his seed all families of the earth will be blessed is happening on a scale that Peter, a devout Jew, could not imagine. And so last week as Pastor Andrew preached, we we see that Cornelius, this Gentile, has been prepared by God to come to faith and, and that Jews and Gentiles are now part of this new community, this multi-ethnic community of Jesus' followers. In Acts 11, one through 18, there's a retelling of that uh, episode from Acts 10 as Peter comes back and describes to the church in Jerusalem what he has seen, what what has transpired now that the Gentiles have now come to faith and have received the Holy Spirit. And a lot of them were skeptical they thought how could this be but as they hear Peter's full report they fall silent and as they say in verse 18 of chapter 11 then to the gentiles also god has granted repentance that leads to life this is an epoch shattering moment in the life of this new community and this morning we want to look at verses 19 to 30 in acts 11 and in this part of Acts 11, Luke, the writer of Acts, is details several scenes from a new church in the city of Antioch. And not only do we see the work of the Holy Spirit in this new church, but we also get a glimpse, in, in a very real sense, of what every church ought to look like. So this morning, I want us to take a look at five scenes that Luke uh, gives to us as he paints this picture of what the Holy Spirit is doing in this new church in the city of Antioch. And I think looking at these five scenes is a way for us to be challenged by God's word, to take a look at our own life, to see is it mirroring the work of the Spirit that we see here, but also to look at our church as a whole. Are we mirroring what a church filled with the Spirit ought to look like. So let's look at scene number one. Scene number one, we see here that persecution is not an impediment to the Spirit's work in the church. Verse 19, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, remember Stephen was martyred, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. What we see here in verse 19 and 20 is similar to the report that we read about in Acts 8. That because of the persecution in the church in Jerusalem, some of the believers were scattered. And as they scatter, what do they do? They preach the gospel. And the gospel begins to spread. And what you see, particularly in the book of Acts, you see the persecution, and opposition to the gospel, in opposition to God's people because the, the world is generally opposed to Jesus, that persecution in, in many ways does not stop the church. It actually is used by the spirit of God to, to extend the reach of the gospel through his church. leads to the furtherance of the gospel. That's what Acts 11 describes to us in this first scene. Persecution is no impediment to the spread of the gospel. Now, now we need to be transparent. Persecution has hurt and damaged the, the, the church throughout the last 2,000 years. There are places in the world, even today, that are experiencing such grievous uh, persecution, it, it, it's, it, it has hurt the church and it's hurt individual Christians. And I want to minimize that. But on the other hand, it's also true in church history and in the book of Acts that because the church individually and corporately is filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the very presence of the supernatural God living inside of us, the third person of the Trinity, who is vitally connected to Jesus, who right now is at the right hand of the Father with all authority and power. It means that in spite of opposition that we may face, in spite of persecution, the Spirit of God takes the church and can use it to extend the reputation of Christ in spite of the tremendous pressure that the church is under and we need to hear that one of my fears for us is that we will shrink back from doing what the Holy Spirit has called us to do because we are not really prepared for opposition the reality is is that Jesus said because the world doesn't like me they're not going to like you As a believer in Jesus Christ, you should expect and be prepared for a certain level of hostility and opposition. That's what being a follower of Jesus Christ entails. And of course, I do sense in the North American church, because there is some hostility, yes, that's true, and because the culture seems to be coming unglued in all kinds of ways... Some of it hostility toward anything that Christians would believe coming out of the Bible. That somehow we've convinced ourselves that we're under massive persecution here. No, dial that down a little bit. We're worshiping freely here this morning, okay? Having said that, I do know of a number of people who are here this morning in this service who because of their commitment to Jesus have experienced opposition and some I would call it persecution in their career because they they were standing up and, and simply living a normal Christian life. That's true. But rather than get in a bunker over that, Rather than, than, than being undone or overwrought with, with the opposition, we should expect opposition. That's the normal course of events for any followers of Jesus Christ at other times. We live in a place that is far less persecuted than any other church in, in, around the world. But I think we need to look at the growing uh, cultural issues in our country that divide and, 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 and seem to erode any kind of a sense of normalcy and see all of the events that are going on not as something to be afraid of, not as something to cower in front of, but to see it as an opportunity to share Jesus to a world that is more likely to be unsettled by what's going on in the world than at any other time, certainly in my lifetime. My neighbors who do not identify as believers in Jesus, my neighbors who do not go to church are freaked out about what's going on in this world. The, the war in Europe for the first time since World War II. The racial tension that, that uh, you know, it, it looks like occurred yesterday in Buffalo. The shootings at the, you know, after the NBA playoff game on Friday night. As a grandfather, I'm sort of freaked out about this baby formula shortage. You're gonna read about me in the paper. Local pastor holds up grocery store, absconds with... Everywhere you look, things are falling apart, difficult, there's hostility, yes. But in that environment, the Church of Jesus Christ understanding that The Spirit of God lives inside you and has given you a task to to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God who connects you to the right hand of the Father. Opposition, hostility, low-level persecution that we might face should not deter us from from boldly continuing the mission that God has given to us. It's good to be reminded of people who really are persecuted. Richard Wormbrand. Romanian believer in communism held sway in Romania after World War II. He was in prison because of his faith, and here's what he wrote. He said, it was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching, so we accepted the communist terms. It was a deal. We preached, they beat us. We were happy preaching, they were happy beating us. Everybody was happy. You see, in the church of Jesus Christ, when you realize the Holy Spirit lives inside you and has given you a task to be witnesses of Jesus, and you realize that that Spirit has connected you to the right hand of the Father, no earthly circumstance, no persecution, no opposition, no sense that the, the world is, is falling apart should deter us from doing boldly this mission that God has given us, because the Holy Spirit is living inside us, and this is what he's called us to do. Amen. That's the first scene. Let's look at the second scene. In the second scene, and you might miss this if you're sort of, you know, just sort of casually reading through Acts 11. In scene number two, we see that ordinary, unknown followers of Jesus take the gospel to the world. Back up to verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, and Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews, And there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Notice here, these are unnamed people. We're told earlier in Acts that the apostles, for the most part, stayed in Jerusalem. What you have here, what Luke is picturing to us, is that ordinary believers, scattered because of persecution, wherever they end up, Whether it's in Cyprus, which is an island in the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea, whether it's in Phoenicia, which is in present-day Lebanon, uh, a few hundred miles north of Jerusalem, whether it's Antioch, everywhere these ordinary believers go, they preach the gospel. These are not official missionaries sent by the church. We won't see that until Acts 13 with Paul and Barnabas. This is a normal Christian filled with the Holy Spirit who goes all over because of the persecution and they are the ones that share the gospel. Notice what verse 21 says. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. God does an incredible work through ordinary believers, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who, don't, who, who simply do what they were mandated to do, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, as they're connected to the, the right hand of the Father in Jesus, to go and be witnesses of Jesus. And they do that, and people are coming to faith. And this forces, I think, a a powerful question on us. The the task of of reaching the world for Christ is done largely Not exclusively, through the ordinary, normal believers who in their sphere of influence at work, in in one of your classmates, in your neighborhood, in the various clubs that you're a part of, it's through your ordinary but spirit-filled supernatural witness, you're the ones who take the gospel to the world. And sort of the question for all of us is, is, are we living out the mandate that we were given by Jesus to be witnesses of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit? Do we have an intentional intentionality about being Spirit-empowered witnesses for Jesus wherever we are? Are we praying regularly for those around us who may not yet have identified as followers of Jesus? Are we setting up time to connect with people who may not yet have trusted trusted Christ? Are we prepared to give the reason for our hope in Jesus to other people around us? The task of outreach is not just for pastors and elders to do. There's not enough of us. And you have connections with people where you may be the only believer that, 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 that in your workplace or the, one of the few believers in your high school or middle school or in, in the club that you belong to, and you have an opportunity in the power of the Spirit to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Are you embracing that? Are you owning that? What's interesting, I, I think, that for some of us, it's, it's easy to be uh, concerned about uh, you know, how that will be looked upon by your, uh, by your friends, by your co-workers, by your classmates. It's interesting, Tom Rayner has done an interesting study of looking at, at studying a whole bunch of people who do not identify as followers of Jesus, who don't go to a church, and they, they did a lot of interviews, uh, they did a fairly significant study, and here's the interesting thing, that those who don't identify with Jesus said about Christians. You won't believe this. So go call Tom Rainer and complain. I didn't do the study. Here's what they say. The second most common response from those who were interviewed say this. I really would like to develop a friendship with a Christian. You know, some of you say, well, I'm not not the people I work with. Well, okay, you know, I get it. Here's another thing. Uh, This was the uh, seventh most common answer for those who don't identify as believers. They say this, I wish a Christian would take me to his or her church. I would always like to know what goes on in a church but no Christian has ever invited me. In in, in some of the the personal comments that were made in the focus group, this person writes, I would really like to visit a church, but I'm not particularly comfortable going by myself. What is weird is that I'm 32 years old and I've never had a Christian invite me to church in my entire life. See, what I think this says to us is that I think we may have, in light of some of the pressures in our culture, and maybe you've had a difficult experience talking to somebody, is that we forget what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord to send out workers into the harvest. I think you will find, particularly now... This is my experience and again I, I, I understand some of you that are introverted this sounds horrible i'm an extrovert i talk to a, lots of people and of course once they ask me what i do it's pretty obvious i'm a christian every once in a while i try to say to somebody you know what do you do i said, i'm in education <laughs> i don't want to tell them i'm a part of a church but but usually i fuss up what is fascinating to me is that when I have, again, you pray about this, okay? You pray a lot. You ask the Spirit to guide you. But in many conversations I've had, the people that I am interfacing with in this area who don't identify as Christians are interested in hearing what I have to say about the world and the chaos that's going on. And I think we have convinced ourselves that nobody's interested. We've convinced ourselves that the harvest isn't really that great. We've convinced ourselves that we need to be really quiet. When actually the world is more desperate today than ever. Seeing the world falling apart at every level. And we have the spirit of God living inside us. The supernatural power of God. And we've been given a task to tell people about Jesus. And we're far too reticent about the one thing. that The one person who can... Save this world from itself. Ordinary, unknown followers of Jesus take the gospel to the world, and he's asked each of us to do the very same thing right here in Princeton. Scene number three. The grace of Jesus Christ is offered to all people. Go back to 1120. When we read verse 19 before, and these scattered believers were speaking the word of God to no one except Jews, okay? So these were probably Jews scattered from Jerusalem. They're speaking the gospel only to Jews. Verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now that word Hellenists, You know, you look at that and you say, well, maybe that's the Greek-speaking Jews. But I think the word actually, and particularly in context with Acts 10 coming before Acts 11, it's saying there were some of these scattered believers, these ordinary unknown people, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, meaning they spoke to Gentiles. They spoke to people who were not Jewish, and they preached the Lord Jesus to them. In verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number turned to the Lord. What we see in Acts eleven twenty is an application of what Acts 10 was all about. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just for the Jews, it's for Jews and Gentiles. All the families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. And so what you see in, in Antioch is the gospel is going out to all people. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is going out to all people. Now the church in Jerusalem is, is was again shocked, they've already been shocked because of what Peter told them about Cornelius and now something amazing is going on in Antioch and in verse 22 the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God he was glad and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. When Barnabas says he came and saw the grace of God, what he's seeing is the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached to all people without prejudice, without distinction. And a manifestation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and a manifestation of the grace of Jesus is being lived out in this new church that's beginning to grow and develop. See, one of the things I think we forget about the beauty of God's grace is the beauty of God's grace and the beauty of the grace of the gospel means it puts everybody on the same plane. This is the message we share. Everybody is sinner and separated from God. We're all in the same boat and it's not good. It's leaking. But then when the grace of of God and the grace of Jesus means we can also tell every person the grace of Christ is available to you. It matters not who you are, where you've come from. It doesn't matter how badly we live because we all live badly. We can say to every person the gospel and Jesus can be yours because he came for all people. We're all in the same boat. We all can receive that same grace of God. And when this church in Antioch begins to offer the grace of God and preach the grace of God, irrespective of Jew or Gentile, irrespective of slave or free, the socioeconomic differences are not the primary way that that the gospel looks at people. The gospel looks at people in sort of a democratizing way. And that's the grace of Christ that we have been tasked by the Holy Spirit to go and talk about. And when the grace of God is preached and lived out, the name of Christ is magnified and it provides a context for gospel growth to take place. Let's move to the third scene. Uh, the fourth excuse me the fourth scene and that is Jesus must be the focused identity for the church Jesus must be the focused identity for the church let's go back to verse 23 when Barnabas came he sees what's the grace of God Jew and Gentile coming to faith, slave and free, socioeconomic differences—all coming to Christ. These people in Antioch, and again, I, I didn't really describe this, but Antioch at the time was probably the third-largest city in the Roman Empire. The city of Antioch was on the River Orontes, up at the northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. There's a seaport there, lots of economic commerce. The city was made up of all kinds of different people. There was a massive center of worship for Artemis and Astarte and other gods. Just five miles away from, uh, from, from uh, Antioch was a city called Daphne, which had this huge temple complex for the worship of the gods. Ritual prostitution was taking place. Antioch was known as a very debauched, wealthy in some ways, lots of different people, but a debauched place. In fact, they often said, Is the, the garbage and filth of the Orontes River flows all the way to the Tiber River, which is the river in Rome? In some sense, Antioch polluted, both religiously and, and, and sort of morally, the rest of the Roman Empire. And these are where these unnamed, ordinary believers come. Barnabas sees what is happening. Verse 24, it goes on to describe Barnabas, he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. God is blessing in a powerful way. And so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Remember, this is Saul, this is the the man, you know, converted to Jesus on the road to Damascus, who was about to persecute believers. We think this may have been about 10 years after Paul's conversion. He's, probably, he's in Tarsus, probably ministering there. Barnabas goes to find him to try to help with the burgeoning work that's taking place in Antioch. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. So the church is being served well by Barnabas and now Saul, Paul, who has come To teach. And then this little throwaway phrase by Luke, which is not a throwaway phrase. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, the way Luke describes this, first called Christians, it's not as if the the, the church in Antioch voted on their name and said, hey, let's call ourselves Christians. The name Christian was called by people outside the church, outside the faith, saw this new group of believers, and realized that this is a church that's all about Jesus Christ. It's a name given to them by outsiders because this is what the church was all about. This is what the focus of the church was all about. You see, in the early part of the, the church, as the church was meeting in the temple courts and it was meeting many times in synagogues, oftentimes the new movement of followers of Jesus would, would have been viewed as a, a sect within Judaism. But now there's a different identity forming. Now Jew and Gentile are in this group, and Jesus is the center of everything that they do so that the outsiders say, you all are Christians. You all are followers of Jesus. I don't think it was necessarily a a, a complimentary uh, sort of nickname, right? I think if you wanted to put it colloquially, they would have said, this is the Jesus freaks. It's kind of what it means. What do you think about that? This group of Jews and Gentiles living in the third largest city that's filled with debauchery morally, filled with a worship of all kinds of gods, lots of competing interest. There's, there's wealthy people, there's slaves, all this sort of diverse city of maybe about 500,000 people. And now what God is doing is bringing significant numbers of people to Jesus, the Messiah, and the outsiders are calling them the Jesus freaks. This is a group that's all about Jesus. And this is my fear for us, to my fear for the North American church, or any church really, is that it is so easy for us to focus on anything else but Jesus in a church. I grew up in the church. I was a church, I was a pastor's kid. I saw, crazy, I, I saw crazy congregational meetings. And I still did this. It's a lack of wisdom. We are easily diverted to where Jesus isn't the one focus. It's easier for us to be self-absorbed. We can do that and try to make church about how my needs get met and then we turn the church into not Jesus, but it's actually us. Or we take a whole host of other issues and make that more important than Jesus. This is, this is a massive problem. If you've done any kind of reading, you know this is happening in the North American church. It is shocking, but what, what is happening in many churches who would probably believe the same things we believe, where Jesus is not central, politics is central. Oh yeah, oh it's all about politics. Sometimes on the right, sometimes on the left. It's all about certain issues that have begun to dominate the Christian community. And Jesus becomes a secondary issue. It's interesting. In the Tom Rayner study, the, the number one thing that most of those who did not identify as believers, who don't go to church, the, one th- the thing that more people said about any other, is Christians seem to be the group that hates everything. Think about that. We're the church of no. One of the persons, uh, this was a a number of the people, uh, talked about uh, this is, you know, talked about this, is that Christians are against more things than they are for. Here's one of the quotes from someone who doesn't identify as a believer, but this is their picture of us. It just seems to me that Christians are mad at the world and mad at each other. They are so negative, they seem unhappy. I have no desire to be like them and stay upset all the time. That's not a situation where people will look to us and go, oh, these people are Jesus freaks. Jesus needs to be the one person that receives all of the attention, receives all of our focus. It, it's what we need to be talking about. It's what we need to be thinking about. It's who we need to be praying to. It's, it's who we need to be talking about outside these walls. Jesus and what he's done. I'm very embarrassed. Uh, I, I, this is a, this, I, I guess COVID seems like it'll continue forever but this is back in when covid was seemed worse to me and we were i was with this group of believers here at stone hill they were all stone hill people and we had a very nice discussion we didn't all see COVID the same we had a very wonderful conversation where we respected one another we were talking about what, what the church should do blah 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 we did this for about an hour and a half and finally someone says you know we've been talking about covid for the last 90 minutes and not one of us has mentioned anything about jesus that's the problem it's Jesus when we're filled with the Holy Spirit we were filled so that we would do what be witnesses of Jesus the last scene and I have to cut this short so that give you an assignment this afternoon read verses 27 28 29 and 30 what you see there is the early church becomes massively generous with its financial resources. And the mixed Gentile Jewish church in Antioch takes up a collection for the Jewish brothers in Christ and sends it with Paul, and Barnabas down to Jerusalem to help out. That is also a mark of what the church is about. What I'd like to do is I'd like to close in a word of prayer. I'm gonna pray for us. And then we're gonna sing in Christ alone, to refocus our attention on this Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I pray Lord, that we would not view opposition as something strange. I pray that we would expect it and I pray that we would not allow any kind of hostility or mild persecution, deter us from being witnesses of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize that every single one of us has an obligation given to us by God, empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus in the circle of influence that we have. I pray that you would help us to be more intentional, more prayerful, more focused on that important mandate and ministry given to us by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church that we would be preaching the gospel to all people. Lord, I pray that you would also help us as a church and as individuals to keep Jesus front and center. That's what you're about. That's what you've called us to do. That's what you've called us to testify about. It's Jesus, his death, his resurrection, the forgiveness of sins. And lastly, Lord, um, I think you've done this to, to a significant, significant uh, degree, but I pray for individuals and for us a church that we continue to be generous, to give to those in need, as a visible demonstration of the gospel in action. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.